Good morning. How's everyone doing today? No worries this week, guys. It's no worries. I'm prepared. And uh, I'm sorry, if, if you weren't here two weeks ago, you probably don't know what this is for. Uh, two weeks ago, my family had been struggling with a stomach bug for several days, and uh, I had been hoping and praying and crossing fingers and washing hands and all of those things, trying to not get it. And uh, I was teaching last Sunday, and my stomach bug arrived at the worst possible time, uh, which was about 15 minutes into my sermon, and uh, I excused myself and went to the bathroom. So I apologize for uh, having to do that, and uh, I'm feeling much better this week, so hopefully this isn't necessary. (laughs) Just in case, though. It's going to stay there forever, so in case that ever happens again. Uh, Well, good morning. We're continuing in the Beatitudes this morning, Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So my my big idea this morning, uh, my big idea this morning is this. If you take anything away from this morning, take this away. Mercy is an essential part of who we are, not simply what we do. Mercy is an essential part of who we are not simply what we do. When we think about being merciful sometimes, a lot of times our thoughts immediately go to acts, merciful acts that we do, forgiving someone, showing mercy to someone. But mercy, again, is an essential part as Christians of who we are, not only what we do. So as Jesus is teaching this, I want to be reminded of the culture that we're in, because this was not a culture that really celebrated mercy very much. So Jesus is is in the culture that he's speaking to. He's speaking to religious Jews uh, who were not merciful. Uh, They were prideful. They were the opposite of merciful. Uh, They thought they had everything together. They had everything figured out. And because of that, they weren't really very compassionate towards people who, in their minds, didn't have everything figured out. And on top of that, we also had the Roman government who was over the Jews at the time. In Roman culture, there was a popular Roman philosopher who called mercy the disease of the soul. So you can get an idea of how Roman culture felt towards this this attitude of mercy. They viewed mercy as a sign of just supreme weakness. It meant uh, that you didn't have what it takes to be a real man or to be a Roman if you were to show mercy to someone else. The disease of the soul. And so as we go through these Beatitudes, we continue to see how Jesus clearly had a plan here. He didn't just randomly choose these, these beatitudes. He didn't randomly choose you know, poor in spirit to be first. He didn't randomly choose uh, meekness or, or thirsting for, for righteousness or mercy, that there's a, a very particular order, that there's a definite progression of thought and a logical sequence as we study through these. And you can't take any single statement of these beatitudes You can't just take a statement out and and study it individually. You almost have to do it as we look at just the the logical sequence and order that Jesus teaches them through. And so the first four Beatitudes really focus on internal principles, how we stand before God. And then the, the next set, they're still internal principles, but they also deal in how we relate to others and how we relate to others. And so you can almost think of, of these, the next four as the, the fruit of their predecessors. 
So, so far, if we look at the progression through the Beatitudes, so far, this is what we've seen. We've seen if we are poor in spirit, so if we recognize that we have no righteousness of our own, if we recognize that when we come face to face with God, that we are nothing and he is everything, that we are utterly hopeless, there's nothing good in us, that we have the same cry as Isaiah, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips. If we recognize that we are poor in spirit, a natural result of that is that we mourn. We mourn our sin. We mourn the sins of others. We mourn the effects of sin and how, it, how it's harmed the world. And if we do that, then naturally we are people who are meek because we recognize that there's nothing good in ourselves that's worth defending, that the only thing worth defending is the glory of the Father. And we submit our will, we submit our agenda under the agenda of the Father. <clears throat> and if we are meek, then we are naturally people who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, that we long for it, recognizing that we can't produce it, that it's nothing in ourselves, it's only something that God can do for us, only something that we can receive from God as we trust in the saving work of Jesus. And if we are people who are hungry and thirsting for righteousness, it is inevitable as we go through that sequence, if we have seen and experienced all of those things, it's inevitable that our attitude towards those around us will be transformed. That our attitude towards those around us will be transformed. So all the, all the people around you. And, and think of the, the people just in the spheres of, of your influence. So you can think of people sitting next to you in this room. You can think of coworkers or think of neighbors. Think of family members. Think of the people who are, who are in your spheres of influence. All those people, people that at one point you just, maybe you, you didn't like, maybe you're, for whatever reason, you just didn't get along, or maybe they've wronged you in the past and you've just avoided them to a degree all of those people around you. Now, when we look at it through the lens of that, that progression through the Beatitudes, we now see people, particularly those who are far from God, as people who are, who are to be pitied. We don't, we don't see them anymore simply for what they do or the things that they've done to us or the things that they've said to us. We see them essentially as, as slaves of hell and slaves of Satan, and as we are followers of Christ, we have, we have pity on them, and we, we pray for them, and we show mercy towards them. And so when we talk about mercy this morning, that's one of the aspects of, of being merciful is answering the question, how do we see people? How do we see people? Do we see people, and how do we see them? There's a, I'm going to turn to Mark really quickly, Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. And there's an, there's an interesting miracle that, uh, that Jesus does in this, in this passage, and it's a, it's a short passage, so I'm going to read it, if I can turn to the right book. Matthew, Mark, right? It's the second one. Mark 8, verse 22 through 25. It says this, this is Jesus heals a blind man. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of the village. 
And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. And then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. So there's a few things about this um, that, are, that are curious. One, this is one of the only passages uh, in Scripture where a, a healing that Jesus does isn't just immediate. All of his other healings, he, he lays his hands on someone and suddenly they come to life. He lays his hands on them and the lame start to walk. Uh, this, in this sequence, Jesus touches the man more than once. And the first time, his eyes are opened. And you can think of this in a, in a spiritual parallel. The first time, his eyes are opened but he's not seeing everything clearly. He says, I see men, but they look like trees walking. And then the second time, as he comes into contact with Jesus again, you almost see uh, on the spiritual parallel, there's a sanctification process where how he sees people continues to evolve as he comes into contact with Jesus. And then finally, he says, I, I see men and I see men clearly. And so how are we as followers of Christ, how are we seeing people? Are we seeing people clearly, or are we still viewing people through this distorted lens where our, our eyes have been opened to the truth as followers of Christ, but we still see people through, our, through a sinful heart? Mercy is about seeing people. It's essential when dealing with mercy. And so the first question we want to answer this morning is, what is mercy? So when we say mercy, you might think of a lot of things. Many things may come to your mind. Uh, so what is mercy? <clears throat> and first of all, what it is not. Mercy does not mean we are easygoing. It doesn't mean we just pretend like we don't see things. It doesn't mean we ignore things. A lot of times when you think of someone with an easygoing personality, someone uh, who is just easy to get along with, uh, you think of someone who may see someone doing something wrong and they just don't say anything. Maybe they're just naturally uh, peacekeepers and they just, they just don't want to rock the boat. And so they just act like maybe they didn't see it and they just keep going the other way. Mercy is not easygoing. It's not just simply seeing things and, and acting like nothing ever happened. And that's some people's natural temperament, right? Some people just have a natural, they're bent towards acting that way more so than others. Um, but it's important to remember, so when we're talking about mercy, uh, a natural temperament isn't really what we're, what we're talking about. Because no one has an advantage over anyone else when we come face to face with God. So when we talk about mercy, I'm not talking about just something that comes more naturally to one person than comes to another person. Remember, this, this adjective of merciful is an adjective that's also applied to God. So when we define mercy, however we define that word, it also has to be true of God. So this easygoing attitude that, that doesn't care about breaking the law, that doesn't care about sin, that wants to just look the other way, that really can't apply to God. That's unthinkable to think that God could just turn away from sin and act like it never happened. God is merciful, but God is also righteous, and God is holy, and God is just. So whatever our interpretation of merciful is, it has to also include all of that, because God is also merciful. So what is mercy? One way to, to think of it is, is to compare it with, with grace. 
So sometimes people may think of those words somewhat interchangeably, but, but grace deals especially with mankind in, in their sins, whereas mercy deals especially with mankind in their misery. So you can think of grace as, as taking care of the, of the overall sin problem, whereas mercy actually meets the needs that are caused by the sin, the underlying problem. So grace looks down upon sin as a whole. Mercy looks upon especially the desire to relieve the suffering. It's, it's pity plus action. A desire to relieve suffering. The, the New Testament illustration here is the story of the Good Samaritan. The story of the Good Samaritan, most of you are familiar with it. Um, I'm going to go back and read it just to, to remind ourselves of this story. The story of the Good Samaritan is in uh, Luke 10, verse 25 through 37. It says this, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers. (coughs) He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place where he was, when he saw him, um, sorry, when he came to the place, he saw him, and he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And when he went to him, he bound up his wounds, he poured on oil and wine, and he set, on him, he set him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So in this story, you've got a man who is, who is beaten and robbed and left for dead on the side of the road. And you have two people, a priest and a Levite, who passed by. And they saw him, and they, they, had, they felt pity. I think they felt sorry for the man, but there wasn't a great desire or an endeavor to do something about it, to fix the situation. But the Samaritan showed mercy. He showed pity plus action. So two things we learned about mercy from this passage. One, mercy works to relieve the consequences of sin. Mercy works to relieve the consequences of sin. So the Samaritan took personal responsibility for the injured man. He didn't see him and say, someone else will take care of that. He didn't see him and say, well, my schedule is too busy or I've got somewhere that I've got to be. He took personal responsibility for the man. He did everything to provide restoration and healing. He bound his wounds. He put him on his own donkey. He took him to the inn. He paid for his stay. He gave the innkeeper extra money and said, if there's any expense that isn't already covered, take it out of this. He didn't seek retribution. He didn't chase down those who did this to the man. He didn't turn vigilante and go after the cause of it. 
He didn't complain or, or protest at the failure of society to meet the man's needs. There may be a place for that, but that's not what he did here. Rather, he sought to work in, in the context of the immediate need set before him, and he sought to bring relief. And so the, the question for us is, do we stop for the lives around us that are bruised and broken? Do we stop for them? The second thing we learn here, mercy does not hide behind religion or reluctancy in order to protect itself from costly service. Mercy does not hide behind religion or reluctancy in order to protect itself from costly service. Now, the priest and the Levite who just, who just passed by, I'm sure they had their reasons. They had their own lives to attend to. They had somewhere that other people were expecting them to be. They felt like they couldn't be late. And who knows, maybe the man's already dead. I mean, if, if you're a priest, you can't touch a dead man. Like, talk about being ritually unclean. He's got to go through a whole process after that. Who has time for that? Essentially, they refused to pay the cost of being inconvenienced. They refused to pay the cost of being inconvenienced. A refusal to die to their own plans and fit in with the providence of God in their lives. How are you at that? How are you at, at, at allowing yourself to be inconvenienced so that you can show mercy to people around you? And we have ample opportunity for that. Many of us live in, in Midtown Memphis, and there are multiple opportunities. If you live in Midtown and this hasn't happened yet, it will happen soon, someone's going to knock on your door. And you're going to be getting dinner ready, or you're going to be taking care of your kids, or you're going to have somewhere that you need to be. Someone's going to knock on your door. And they're going to they're have a story. It, it could be a million things. They're selling something. They want to rake your leaves. Their car broke down half a block down the street. They've got a story. It doesn't really matter what the story is. How are you at allowing yourself to be inconvenienced so that you can press into the opportunity that God places sometimes literally on your doorstep? How are you at that? Is that something that we struggle with? And I'm, I'm preaching to myself. Like, I, I struggle. I struggle when I'm on my way somewhere or I'm, I've got somewhere to be or I've got my own agenda or my kids are in the car. I struggle sometimes to, to show mercy to people around me even when opportunities are present. How are we at that? So we, that's one of the things we learn from this story is the Samaritan, he didn't allow those things to keep him from showing mercy. I'm sure the Samaritan had somewhere to be too. I'm sure he had someone waiting on him. He had, he had an agenda of his own. But he was able to put that aside and embrace the opportunity that was in front of him. <clears throat> a great illustration of mercy um, is, a, is a film. Uh, there was a Steven Spielberg film, uh, won all the Best Picture Awards in 1994. Anybody, any film buffs know what film I'm talking about? Schindler's List. Yeah, Schindler's List, Steven Spielberg. So it, it told the, the true story of a man named Oscar Schindler. And it's, it's a great film. It's hard to watch. It really is. Uh, but it's a great film. It tells the true story of a man named Oscar Schindler. Oscar Schindler was a, a Czech businessman 
um, who originally he hired, uh, he was seeking to profit off of World War II, and he originally hired Jews in his factory uh, just because it was, it was cheap labor. It was cheaper labor. It made his bottom line bigger, and so he hired Jews in his factory uh, so that he could make, <coughs> excuse me, so he could make more money. And over time, he, he also realized that because of the role that they were playing in this factory, that it gave anyone who worked for him just a, a protected status so that they weren't hauled away to concentration camps. And so he begins bribing German authorities to essentially save lives so that Jews could stay employed by him. And over the course of the movie, you see him transform from just this pragmatic businessman who just wants to make money off of the situation to the very end of the movie. If you remember the, the scene at the end, he's, he's broken and he's mourning over the fact and he continues to say, I could have done more. And he starts pointing at all of his possessions that he still owns. He points at his car. He says, why did I keep the car? It's 10 people. It's 10 people. And he takes the pen off of his jacket and he looks at the pen. He says, this pen is gold. Why did, why did I keep this? It's two people. And he breaks down in tears, recognizing that he, he could have done more. He could have done something about it. As much as he did do, he was broken over the fact that he could have done more. And it's a beautiful representation of, of mercy being displayed and a man truly broken and desiring to show mercy. So what is the application this morning? What is the application? Martin Lloyd-Jones has a, a quick and easy quote that, uh, that simply says this. A Christian is something before he does something. A Christian is something before he does something. So what I don't want you to hear this morning is that we just need to start doing more things for people and showing more mercy. That's not what I want you to hear. This isn't about just doing things because the, the Christian gospel doesn't place any emphasis on, on just doing things and trying to fill our life up with acts. But rather, it places emphasis on being rather than doing, a greater weight upon our attitude than upon our actions. And its main stress is on what we essentially are rather than what we do. Being is more important than doing. Attitude more important than actions. So essentially, we are Christians, and so our actions have to be an outcome of that fact. So the actions that we do, we don't, we're not just doing them because some guy stood up in front of us on a Sunday and said, you need to do this more. We do them because Jesus is alive in our hearts and in our life, and he compels us to do those things. And out of that relationship, we show mercy because we have been shown a great amount of mercy. It's an overflow from that being, and that's where the doing has to come from. So don't, don't hear me say we just need to do more things. We just need to be more merciful. Or when the guy knocks on your door, even though you really don't want to, you know, try to enter into some type of conversation with them. That's not what this is about. This is about recognizing our being shown mercy by the Father and then being able to display that mercy to those around us that it is at the center of our being and it flows out to the activities of our life because God's never been interested in, in activity. He's never been interested in activity. And if, you don't, if you don't believe that, you can see it in scripture. Amos 5, 21 through 24 says this, 
God says, I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not even look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Hosea 6.6 says, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. So when Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy, that doesn't mean that we're going to earn God's mercy by showing mercy to other people. That's not what it means at all. It means that our nat- in our natural state, we're unable to show mercy, right? Mercy is not something that we just see overflowing out of all of our friends who don't know Jesus, right? That's not just a, a characteristic that you naturally see in people. It's something that flows out of a heart for people. It's something that comes from the fact that Jesus has shown us a great amount of mercy and that that has transformed our hearts and our lives and that now because of that, we're able to show mercy to others. So showing mercy is not something that starts outside of your home. It's something that starts in the mirror. It's something that starts as we examine ourselves and we examine ourselves in light of scripture and we see the truth of what God has done for us and we see the truth of where God has shown mercy to us, where he has poured out grace upon us and that that transforms our hearts. And mercy doesn't start out here somewhere. Mercy starts right here in our heart. And then we're empowered by that to be able to love people. And we love them not from a sense of duty, not from a sense of I'm just supposed to be nice to you or I'm just supposed to do something for you. We love them with the love of Jesus because the love of Jesus is inside of our heart because we've received it from a merciful God. So the, the call to action is not go and do. Don't hear that this morning. The call to action for the Christian is to repent of your pride and selfishness. Recognize the immeasurable amount of mercy that has been poured out on you already. God is not interested in your sacrifices. He's not interested in your your acts. He's not interested in your acts of service or, or what you do to others. He's only interested in that if it flows from a heart that seeks him, from a heart that seeks to please him. I'm going to end with this. There's a, there's a, a song, and I was hoping to play it this morning, but I was, I was late, and so I, we didn't get that, but I'm just going to read the lyrics to you. This is a, a song um, by a guy named Ross King, and you may have heard it before, but it's called Clear the Stage. It's called Clear the Stage, and the words are incredibly powerful, and I want us to hear them this morning. It says this, Clear the stage and set the sound and lights ablaze, if that's the measure that it takes to crush the idols. Chuck the pews and all the decorations too until the congregation's few, then have revival. Tell your friends that this is where the party ends. Until you're broken for your sins, you can't be social. And then seek the Lord. Wait for what he has in store and know that great is your reward and just be hopeful. 
Because you can sing all you want to. Yes, you can sing all you want to. You can sing all you want to. Don't get me wrong. Worship is more than a song. Take a break from all the plans that you have made. Sit at home alone and wait for God to whisper. Beg him, please, to open up his mouth and speak and pray for real upon your knees until they blister. Shine the light on every corner of your life until the pride and lust and lies are in the open. And then read the word and put to test the things you've heard until your heart and soul are stirred and rocked and broken. Because you can sing all you want to. You can sing all you want to. Don't get me wrong. Worship is more than a song. What I hope you, you hear in those words this morning is that God is not interested in us doing more religious activities. When we talk about mercy, we're not talking about just going out and doing things, but having a heart that is broken over our sin, a heart that recognizes grace and mercy, a heart that recognizes what Jesus did for us on the cross, the mercy that Jesus displayed when he's hanging on the cross while those responsible for it are literally standing beneath him, mocking him. And his reaction to that is, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's the mercy that's been poured out on us as followers of Christ. And so how do we allow that mercy to impact our hearts and to impact our lives? And does it enable you to be merciful to others when the knock on the door happens? Or when you're driving down the street and you see the man with the sign and all the bells and whistles are going off in your head saying, he's not really homeless. He's probably made more money today than I have. The fact is he's broken. And you may not be able to, to meet his financial need, but he has needs you can meet. He needs friendship and he needs relationship. We can meet those needs. We can show mercy in those areas. Do you allow yourself to be inconvenienced despite your own agenda, despite what you had planned for that moment or for that day, to lean into the opportunity that God provides you in the immediate context of need that is before you? And can you take the mercy that's been poured out on you and can you pour it out on others? I'm gonna ask the band to come up. We're gonna finish up this morning. And we're gonna finish by sharing communion together. And I'm gonna encourage you guys. We're gonna pray, then we're gonna share communion and I want to encourage you just to take a few moments this morning before you get out of your seat and before you come to this table, before you partake of the Lord's Supper and spend time in prayer, spend time going before the Lord, like the song that we just read said, going before the Lord, begging God to speak, begging God to show and reveal areas in your heart and in your life where you have failed to show mercy to others. Ask God to allow the mercy that's been poured out on you. Ask God to, to help you pour that mercy out on others. And as you have those opportunities, embrace them. Allow yourself to be inconvenienced. Allow it. And see how the Holy Spirit moves through your life. Pray with me. God, we are 
grateful for today. God, we're grateful for, God, your word. God, I'm thankful for, God, how I've been challenged, God, in preparing for the sermon, how I've been challenged this morning, God, even preaching it, and God, how your Holy Spirit is, just reveals areas of my life where I don't show mercy. So God, help me to live out of a heart, God, that recognizes daily, God, how you have poured mercy on me. God, may I wake up each morning preaching the gospel to myself, God, remembering the cross, remembering grace that was poured out. And God, I pray that my heart can be empowered to love others. God, my heart can be empowered to turn away from my own agenda, my own plans, and the things that I want to do that day. God, give me ears to hear from your spirit. God, give me a heart that desires to be obedient. God, like the Good Samaritan, a heart that desires to see mercy done to others, where I can turn away from my own agenda and submit my agenda under the agenda of the Father. God, give us grace this morning to be able to do that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.